0: The SaaS Universe Podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Universe Podcast. Today, Joseph Abraham, founder and CEO of Startup Atom, has a one-on-one with Amit Boney. Now, Amit is the CEO and founder of Insure Edit. InsureEdit enables and empowers end customers and insurance intermediaries with artificial intelligence-based product platforms for transformational customer experiences, which in turn solves problems like enabling better product market fit, increasing affordability, and financial inclusion, just to name a few things. Now here are Joseph and Amit, enjoy the show. Hi Amit, thank you
1: so much for taking the time and joining us today on the SaaS Founders Podcast. It's really nice to have you. Uh, I really loved our chat right before this call, where I got to know you a bit and um, about what you're trying to solve. Uh, one of the fascinating things that really stuck me hard was that you've been a you know hardliner, being a CEO of Motorola for India, and you know done some amazing things out there. And uh, this is your second innings, you know, and in a whole different innings as a in founder. And so I'm excited to chat about that and get to know you a little more, better. Uh, so welcome to the show.
2: Thanks very much, Joseph. Uh, Same here, appreciate the conversation before this, uh, we went live. Uh, and look forward to answering as as, as well as I can.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. So very quickly, what's the story of Insured it Like, What's the origin of it? How did it start? So, I realized that you had a stellar career. You know, you met uh, some of the best people, did some of the most amazing things. I mean, it was nice to know about all of that. And so, how did this whole startup phase happen? And what's how did insured it happen? What's the origin of insured it? So, um,
2: so, I think the origin of insured it is. Uh... Essentially, in my case, uh, from very deep-rooted friendships. Uh, my co-founder in the company is Rohit uh, Sadhu. And uh, Rohit and I, and we, we belong to a small town, right? We both, Rohit and I, were from Jammu. Uh, we did all of our schooling there. And uh, then as he went into his engineering and did his MBA, I did the same thing. Uh, we pretty much, in the early stages of career, were in the same. I was a techie. Rohit was in uh, tech sales. And then post-MBA, I had a different career line. Rohit uh, has spent about 10, 12 years outside of India. Uh, he was in London for, I think, a few years. Then he moved to New York where he was for six, seven years. But one of the things, despite this time gap and uh, you know time zone gaps between Rohit and me has been, we used to kind of talk every month at least once and preferably over a beer. Okay. So, so um, you know, as as some of as we we're doing some of the good stuff at at Motorola and post that at, at Smartron as well, mm-hmm. uh, Rohit was leading this very large, tech forward, impactful projects for BFSI vertical at uh, PwC for uh, in based out of New York. Mm-hmm. And over one of the conversations, the intent was, "Yeah, we're smart enough people. We're doing some good stuff. Right? Can we do something? And that I think that something was the initial seed." I mean, it, it took a serious turn over a couple more conversations. And as we started talking about certain uh, areas um, wherein we could uh, fundamentally change things, right? And one of, one of the things that Rohit and I, and we hadn't even nailed down what we wanted to do, right? But one thing that we set up as an agreement was that if we ever end up doing something together, it's got to be something that is going to be super large impact, right? We, we wanted to make sure that we're creating an impact over a period of time uh, on practically millions and billions of people, right? Now, coming from the world that I came from, wherein the mobile devices and hardware and all that fancy stuff is probably about $30 billion, uh, we realized that insurance is about $100 billion in India and insurance we are just getting started. And then there is, you know, Basically, it's an analog industry pen and papers call centers, hardly any trust uh, and we, we we started talking about what is it that can be done so that we have great uh, response uh, getting delivered for end consumers Now one other thing as I said earlier I mean uh, one of the one of the data points that I heard in the early days was that about a couple of percent of Indian population every year uh, goes below poverty line because they are spending money from their own pocket. And I thought that was absolutely terrible uh, for a country of uh, our economics and country of our size. Uh, it means a lot of lives, a lot of families, and the impact that it has, it had generational impact perhaps on this. It was, it, was an, it was an idea that struck with me. The second thing that at the same time happened was I was actually doing my own insurance. And uh, my relationship manager uh, from a specific bank came over and uh, they had me fill up a form which is kind of half paper, half on net banking. The payment was by check. And I and it was a couple of options, and I just didn't get enough options. And I was like, why is this happening? Why don't you guys have a system? And they said that this is what we have. And as we kind of got a lot of that conversation together, we realized that this is a market which is so impactful, so meaningful for an average person. And if we if we could if we could do the right things in this industry. I think we could be changing a lot of lives for good, and for I think for both Rohit and me, who were doing, uh, I will say you know at the peril of sounding snobbish, uh, amazingly well in the careers. I think, but that was motivation enough to say, okay, maybe this deserves uh, a break from everything else. Let's get into it and try to set something up. So yeah, that's that's been the genesis
1: that's really nice so you have a compelling idea and you do have some statistics to show that this is like something that you can really like switch over to and and give over a, a good period of your time so great so we have an idea you're driven by it you make a switch uh, how did you know that there was validation in this in this problem and there was a solution that you could build you know, towards that. So can you just take us through that solution and the validation that you, you, you know, got along the way moment of epiphany or something that, that you could share, you know, with our audience?
2: So um, just one interesting thing is um, as much as I would love to have uh, epiphanies, uh, (laughs) I haven't had any. Got it. it. Uh, I think sometimes building up conviction uh, around businesses, products, maybe to philosophically around life is a collection of lot more smaller things right and you you have an idea you fortify that idea over a period of time i i i wish i honestly wish that i had like this moment of epiphany and something amazing happened and triggered and it's a it's a trillion dollar life-altering thing uh no i did right but but what we did have was that coming from the middle class backgrounds that both rohit and i came from originally uh, having those families, having friends that were all middle class or otherwise, uh, I I don't think I coincidentally or luckily I didn't have any rich friends. Uh, probably wouldn't have gotten to uh, learn some of these things from them. But I think as 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 we were talking right at two levels, at from a from a demand side to say to the end consumers right, and we 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 talked to quite a few people. We actually uh, put in a uh, once a small form and said, what are the pet peeves? And I I, I had a fairly decent uh, following on social media at a time, and uh, now I'm no longer on social media, but I, I put in a quite couple of questions out there to pick up some responses, right? So the intent was to do a dipstick check around what is the kind of response that we get broadly from people? What is that first thing that occurs to them when we say something like this, right? The second was to kind of go into the larger value chain and say, where is the value chain getting disaggregated, right? And and see where are the breakpoints. Why, if a certain process is a certain way, why is it that way? And most importantly, I think, which is the third thing, is I am a huge, huge, huge believer of uh, that great businesses or disruptive businesses are built when you disagree with the current processes. It is and so it is essentially a disruption of, of the mental models, which have been set in cast in stone and says, aise hi hota hai. now, as long as aise hi hota hai, you can't change. Right. So we, our conversation was a lot to do with why, why am I being asked for ABC XYZ amount of work or paper filling or this, if I have to do a simple policy. Why Why is the price point somewhere else and somewhere not the same? Rohit and I, uh, one of the common examples that we, I used to give is, Rohit and I both are pretty much the same age. He's a 6'2 guy, I'm a 5'6 guy, but otherwise pretty much the same thing.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's right.
2: Now, he has a great uh, you know uh, health and wellness lifestyle. Runs about seven kilometers every day in the morning, eats very specific diet. I'm the other way around, right? I'm the kind of guy who eats, uh, doesn't work out. Um, God's blessed me with some decent enough, you know, uh, you know, lean frame. So that was it. But if you, if both he and I had to buy insurance, he is a much lower risk guy than me. He should be a much lower premiums compared to me. Why is that not the case? If I drive my car 10,000 kilometers and Rohit drives it 60,000 kilometers, why are he and I paying the same money for the insurance? In a way, it wouldn't be the case, right? I mean, if, if you see the, the questions as we were aggregating around the industry, they were very actually simplistic observations, but across a wider spectrum of people and wider participants in the value chain. As we funneled it, it all came down to basically two or three things. The economics, the financial metrics of entire value chain got, got distilled into two simpler things. One was, why is insurance not available to broadly the masses across the country? And two, why do I have to buy the product that you ask me to buy? Why is not it exactly the product that I want to buy?
1: Got it. Absolutely. So, so there's a there's a paradox of choice that you don't even have a choice to make in the first place. It's what's served in the platter. Amazing. So I'm gonna switch gears here. I'm gonna ask you a very different question, which is uh, you started and sure did. So what's the big difference you know that you have found being a founder versus being you know in the corporate world? So what's the big, big change that you observed in in yourself?
2: I think um, again, is it's a, a term that I very commonly use with my friends and family now. Uh, entrepreneurship is like a bipolar disorder. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. You, one day you get up in the morning and you think that you're going to conquer the world. By evening you're like, I'm not even sure that this thing works. <laughs> Got it. Right? Next next day half the day, you're still thinking that this is not going to work till something clicks and you say, I know this is going to be amazing. Right? Yeah. yeah. So Entrepreneurship is a bit of an uh, up and down uh, to that extent. Um, and it is a lot more intense compared to anything else. It, I think it's almost like having a newborn baby uh, that you are you are really looking at 24 cross seven and, and making sure that, you know, everything is right by it, right? Uh, so, it, it's a it's lot more. lot. It, I think I've, I've worked hard in a lot of my careers. Uh, I don't think I have worked as hard as I have worked here with the degree of intensity and that degree of intensity is consistent. Uh, There is no difference between a Wednesday and a Saturday, a Sunday, or a Tuesday, doesn't matter. You are, you are switched on practically 24% which was not not true for uh, corporate. I think, I think corporate jobs, uh, uh, you know, they're rewarding in a different way. Uh, you get multiple challenges. You get to see probably a wider uh, spread of the world. Uh, but honestly, in corporate world, I mean, as much as your career may be at stake, uh, to a large extent, it's not like as if your soul is at stake, especially <laughs> yeah. if you're bought into bought yeah. into the idea and you, you're bought into the larger impact that it can have on
1: people. Yep. Absolutely. I hear you. Great. So amazing, this switch. And, and this whole, like a whole newfound life. So I'm going to again quickly ask you this question, which is simple and poignant, which is what's your product you know, all about? Who is it for? And what does it really do, right? So very simple, straightforward question.
2: Sure. So our product is essentially uh, a connecting pipeline between insurance manufacturers and insurance companies uh, that we provide to insurance distributors. Of different nature it can be a, a broking company it can be a bank it can be a corporate agent for them to start selling insurance digitally to the masses now they could do it in a d2c format or in a b2b2c format now why the b2b2c format is important is because in india number one 90 percent of insurance is sold through distributors number two globally insurance is an intermediated business and about anywhere between 90 to 99% of insurance is sold through people and not DPC, right? And our take is that it is something that you will keep on seeing over next decade, decade and a half, at least, unless until there is some really interesting communication disruption that happens, like you know, mobile networks happened and cloud happened, something that is a lot more larger than this and creates a different kind of an ecosystem your people and intermediation of people is going to be there. So we provide the systems. So our consumers tend to be, or our customers tend to be insurance entities that are selling the product, but our consumers tend to be feet on street and point of sale who are selling the products.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So you're you you you're the platform in between, you know, these two, two uh, different, you know, kind of channels of, you know, consumer and, you know, probably producer-consumer, Know intermediary, if you have to say that's so. right.
2: So, so call, you may call us, uh, you know, insurance infrastructure, you may call us middleware, uh, you know, technology infrastructure. There are various names that people give us, uh, but yeah, that's that's at the soul of it. That's what we are.
1: Awesome. Great. I mean, this sounds very interesting. So in terms of, you know, getting your early adopters, right? So let's talk more about that. So how did you get your early adopters? I understand you come from an industry. So I know you have contacts, Um, you know, you have a stellar career. So, you know, different people. So how did, how did, did that help you? Or did you have to start all the way from scratch to get your early, early adopters in the game?
2: No, I mean, uh, I, you know, I absolutely, the previous uh, stints that I have had uh, in career have been of tremendous help. Um, I think, I think absolutely, right? I mean, the very fact that a lot of people in the industry knew it was a face that people had seen or heard before. Uh, I think, I think that did make a very, very positive impact. Um, but my first actually adopter did not happen because of any of those connects. Uh my first doctor happened because I, I was in a uh, specific tech conference, attending a conference, and uh, I met up with somebody, and we got talking, and this was a broking company, and um, you know we, uh, we said I said, hey, I have some of these ideas that we're thinking about doing, we're setting up this new venture, and da da and uh, he said, yeah, you know what I've been I've been telling people that unless until something like this happens insurance intermediaries will never be able to reach masses that the way they need to reach. And this problem of penetration in India will never be solved. So I was like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great, uh, you know, endorsement from an, a person who has been doing uh, insurance business for about 20 years. Um, over, over And we stayed in touch over the next few days as we were kind of conceptualizing the entire tech stack and how we wanted to do it. We asked that person to kind of come and help us kind of think this through and give his viewpoints about what regulation may mean in this case, because some of the things that are a part of regulation sometimes to an outsider look like it doesn't make sense. Uh, why is this here? But it's only with the depths of the understanding of the industry that people tell you what happens. And there's a, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of, uh, you know, certifications that will be there that will tell you, this is what it is. But the tribal knowledge, that people have by doing that business over a period of time is worth its weight in gold. So, so I was, uh, and and you know we 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 still tell people, including the now hundred plus clients that we have, that that first guy who was our client as well then became our first client as well, uh, was essentially the guy who navigated and told us about how regulation works and therefore what product needs to do and how it needs to comply with regulation. Uh, so yeah, that was the first end, and after that, it's been actually it's been actually amazing. I mean, about on a lower side, probably about seventy percent of the clients that we get come out of referrals.
1: Nice, wow, wow. That's that's a good number to have, and it's a, it's a good plug to have. Absolutely, great.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. In a, in a B two B environment, uh, right? I mean, in a in a cutthroat industry like insurance distribution, wherein uh sometimes i believe that nobody wants to help nobody uh i, I think it's, it's been fantastic and 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 we still have uh practically all of our clients uh sometimes some of the larger players who become our clients they will come up and say hey we want to do ref checks on you and your products and stuff like that so we'll we tell them hey here's a list of like x number of clients go pick up here are the phone numbers listed you tell us who want to talk to we will ping them ask telling them that you may get a call So please talk to them and, uh, yeah, uh, have a word, uh, see what what we're doing and how it helps.
1: Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice to hear that. Great. So how did you build your team? I mean, you and Rohit met. I mean, it turned into an idea. So let's talk us through your team. How did you build your early team and how are you scaling that?
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the toughest thing to do is is building up a team, right? I mean, um, so... In in my case, so I, I I will say the whole thing is two parts, right? There's a there's a business team, so to say, and uh, there is a technology team that we have built out, right? I think building out the business team for us has been relatively easier, right? Uh, because people in the industry, from a business perspective, from the sales and marketing and so on and so forth, knew uh, me knew Rohit, um, so when we were talking to them, um, we could we could communicate in a in a more business terminology what we were up to, what it means and how it can change things, right? I think getting uh, technology folks on has been has been a lot more tougher compared, right? Because last time I coded was in 2001 too. Hardly have any work the folks who are, who are building our products, right? Uh, but I think uh, one thing that we did uh, well was some of our initial guys that we hired, uh, we, we actually uh, talked quite a bit to most of us, right? Especially, um, and not just the anointed few, right? Most of the team, we tend to talk quite a bit. And uh, as a matter of culture that we are building out, uh, if you walked into our office, you will find it difficult to figure out who is a guy who has probably joined like a month back and who is the CEO or the CEO, CTO here, because it's all within within a certain cultural framework that everyone is operating, right? So our, our submission has been uh, to new folks that come in uh, to look at the larger thing that we're doing. Uh, some of the good stuff that we have to do in terms of building up initial technology, uh, and then you know reach out to our networks or to uh, friends and their families and and get referrals and see who are the people who are bought into the idea because I think that's very important from that perspective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's it, it's a it's lot more tougher it's been a lot more tougher in the last year, year year and a half as well, especially with COVID and everything else in place, people are working from home. Um, so it, it's been a tough one. But I think, I think we've been a lot more focused on making sure that uh, we get the right set of people, even if it's fewer. And we have the kind of people that we can and they can talk to a lot easily. One of, the, one of the, again, foundational principles of hiring for us, and I may sound like endorsing beer brands here, is if if I can, if in my hiring, if I do not believe that I can go out for a drink with a fellow colleague, that's probably not the guy I want to hire in Viti. Got it.
1: Got it. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yes, absolutely.
2: Like, because... Yeah, I mean- as you said, yeah. because it's it's not going to be it's not as if you join a startup and it's it's hunky dory.
1: Yes, so sure. not.
2: It's yeah. tough. It's, it's building up a startup is super difficult, right? And you as a founder cannot expect everyone in the te- team to operate at the same level of intensity. It's just not possible, even if somebody tried to work at sometimes at the same levels of intensity as 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 some of the founders to begin with, right? so it's important that you can figure out those folks who come at least as close as possible to that. and when you find those guys trust me it's it's worth hiring 50 folks
1: wow wow really nice so um tell us a little bit about like what's been happening on the funding scene so I have raised any funds are going to raise uh i did notice that there was some activity out there but um uh, how has it been for you i mean uh, you know this whole new world of venture and raising money and things like that <laughs>
2: yeah so um see i mean uh one of one of the things that i and i don't know maybe it's it's the experience of so having run businesses over a period of time um i'm not one of those guys who believes that you need to raise a ton of I think you need to raise uh, enough to have fuel in the tank. Uh, you need to raise uh, enough so that you can do what you want to do, and if you want to run certain experiments and skunk works. Uh, but I don't think that if you believe that your annual burn is going to be, for example, a million dollars, that you go ahead and uh, you know raise twenty. Right. So. So what? So what we did was in the early days, and um, we raised capital in the in the middle of COVID. That was our first raise, right? And that was when basically, uh, you know, I think VCs and everyone else, uh, were, even they were not sure how do we how do we even decide that this is a deal that we want to do, considering that we are not even meeting people face to face. So, but we we did a we did a small raise at that time of about um, you know close to um, about eight hundred k US. Um, so in to- total, including some of the capital that founders and some of the early backers had put in, we were shared uh, less than about a million dollars uh, in the beginning. Uh We recently, uh, you know, uh, have raised another about four and a half million. Uh, just, uh, we're actually in the process of concluding that and hopefully as this podcast goes uh, live, that that news will be more public as well. Uh, uh, so but yeah, we have raised that capital and that gives us that gives us enough ammunition uh, and, and fuel in the tank to uh, build out what we are doing what uh, next couple of years time.
1: Oh, that's really nice, really, really nice. I mean, I, I like the the whole uh, you know reference of having the fuel you know in your tank. I mean, um, just enough to keep going. Uh, very, it's a, it's a nice way to actually look at that, right? So yeah, I think, really I
2: think what, what, and one of the reasons Joseph, for that is I think. Uh, you know, uh, by the end of the day, a lot of this is about value creation, right? And um, and that value creation uh, will ask of you to get right kind of people and right kind of capital coming into onto your cap tables, right? And and I think making sure that the that great quality of capital is sitting on your um, cap table and in your bank is as important as having that capital.
1: Absolutely. No denial about that. So, great. And so you build this amazing business. You have been able to get your early routers. Now you have, you know, the fuel in the tank, so to speak. Um, What do you do to avoid churn? So how are you building it as a churn-proof business or, you know, ensuring that you're able to retain customers? So this is one area that a lot of SaaS founders struggle with because, you know, churn, everybody wants to build a negative churn company. Uh, so, what are, what are some of the things that you are doing in in that respect? Um,
2: uh, I think I think churn in context of B two C and B two B are are very different. Absolutely different. Uh, yes. In in case of B two B, one of one of our, one of the things that we tend to do, what we try to do, is just over communicate. So we we believe that. Uh, Clients, partners who are signing up with us, who are coming on board, uh, want our product as badly as we want to build it out, right? Now for them, if if there is churn, it only means one thing that it's not helping them do what they want to do. And that's great feedback. So interestingly enough, uh, and again, God's been kind, we've had zero churn so far. But, but even if we did have churn right and i am something in me it tells me at some stage we will right it's it's bound to happen for somebody it may not work out that well right it's a part of business right but i think i think if we over communicate and this is one thing uh we have learned hard way as well and uh, i i would i would extol anyone who cares to listen to my advice on this Set up a communication protocol. I think having a fundamental communication protocol in place with your customers is very important. And not in a in a cliched way that, oh, we need feedback from the customer. Sure, we need cus- feedback from the customer. But just whether you have that customer feedback or not, talk as much as possible. Unless until the customer comes back and says, for heaven's sake, stop calling me talk enough right because what happens is there's a lot of conversation which is which is probably not structured but gives you insights into the smaller pain points that consumers uh, or customers may have right so so in especially in b2c context i think having an an overarching communication protocol uh, whose principle is to over communicate may be the best possible tool to avoid sure
1: great so um, that that's really nice to know, Amit, about like, you know, uh, you being at a point where you have zero churn and uh, that's so true to actually establish communication protocols and, um, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, we have almost come to the end of the podcast and I have a rapid fire, you know, round for you. Um, sadly, I'm far away from you, so I can't send you a gift hamper, you know, if you answer it right. But um, we'll definitely send something across to you right after this show. Um, so, quick one. I'm firing the first one away. Is there a book that you're reading right now or a show that you're watching that you that's really inspired and motivated you?
2: Um, I am re- uh, I'm reading a book on blockchain nowadays. Uh, oh, nice. Yes.
1: Okay. And uh, is there a name that you can share or some ideas from the book that you can share? Blockchain Basics. Blockchain Basics. Got it. Got it. Uh, question two is, is there a... Uh, a leader that you that you love and follow, um, that that you feel that there's something to learn from this person.
2: Um, yes, um, actually, one of one of my uh, one of my ex bosses. Uh, I know it's 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 so out there, and probably that's not uh, what a lot of people uh, think. But I have had a boss at Motorola, uh, Magnus Alquist. Uh, I think he was one of the most remarkable person uh that that i know i uh, i've seen how he's been not only invested in business but also in people that he was working with and how how clean straight he was in his approach uh with a, with tons of empathy um so so yeah i mean th- th- there's probably uh, you know a lot of great folks out there but i think magnus has impacted my approach to work and approach to people uh very very significantly so yeah wherever you are magnus
1: um great nice to hear that question number three very quickly out to you which is what's your favorite gadget at this point of time
2: oh my favorite gadget is always a phone
1: okay (laughs) any any name that you can share
2: so i i'm using nowadays oh my motor guys i'm not gonna like this um okay (laughs) I'm, i'm using a samsung note nowadays
1: nice very nice great awesome um, question four is, is there a favorite online SaaS tool that you love? SaaS app, SaaS tool.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one because I think I think I use uh, quite a few. But the one that I really nowadays, you know, because I'm working with it as well is uh, Freshdesk.
1: Right. Freshdesk. Okay, awesome. Great. Um, next question very quickly. How many hours of sleep do you get at night?
2: Oh, I, I sleep about eight.
1: Got it next one how has pandemic changed your life
2: I I, th- I think for good honestly uh, I mean I think I think um, maybe we're among some of those blessed folks who haven't had to bear the brunt of the pandemic um, but and, and the reason I'm saying for good is because I think it's it's kind of opened up our eyes to a lot more things it has opened up our lives to and Um at the at the peril of sounding philosophical about this i think it's 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 taught us the frailties of the entire world in in one go right and uh, ra- rather than thinking that alright you know what uh, this could happen or that could happen i mean for me in the initial days i, I just kept on thinking how similar eerily similar this was to a lot of those uh, zombie ecoplep, ecoplep, uh, ecopleps movies right i mean it tells you a, a lot of lot of what we take for Granted, isn't, isn't necessarily for granted. So uh, I think it just from the perspective that um, it has it has taught me to respect uh, the time as it is. It's going uh, the time that we spend with our friends and families. The very fact that uh, honestly there is nothing earth shatteringly bad happening to any one of us right now here, that's a blessing. Uh, so I mean uh, I, I think it just made me uh, relatively more empathetic than probably I was I was prior to the pandemic.
1: Great, I mean, yeah, so totally true. Uh, this is my last question. Get done with the rapid fire, but this is the last question I ask every person, every guest who comes on the show, which is, what's something that you wish you knew when you were twenty?
2: Oh wow! Uh, I sometimes do think that it would have been interesting uh, to know that. Um, that there is a certain set of capabilities that I had and that I could accomplish as much as probably I have so far. Um, coming from a small town um, and small town, middle-class families, there is so much of this lingering question mark that you always have in front of yourself. Uh, you know, uh, you, you know there were, there were, there were amazing... Uh, you know, small, small things that I wanted to do in life. Um, and and I think, I think if I had a little bit more confidence, I'm not sure I would have done anything differently. I may mean, just have accelerated what I have done, just given myself a little bit of time, just give, told myself not to take everything too seriously. I, and I, I nowadays take, I still take a lot of things very seriously, but probably much fewer things compared to what, what I do. <laughs>
1: totally get it awesome so it's, it was really nice chatting with you I mean there's a lot of things that I personally learned from you not know, you know talking to you you know things that stood out for me was um, especially towards the end when you talk, spoke about the frailty of life and uh, how to not take everything for granted and ensure that time is precious and make the best use of it also love the whole idea that it takes guts to actually move from corporate world after you had you know a good stint because you have like you're basically like you know standing in front of you are two roads like how Robert Frost says you know and the road not taken right so you you made the choice and and uh, it, it's it's difficult to make the choice because of it, it's it's not a simple choice because it's it involves family it involves a lot of different things but you made the choice and and happy that you made a choice not because you wanted to just be a founder but because there's a very compelling problem that you're solving which is very very interesting in fact I never knew the statistic of of two percentage going below the poverty line because they couldn't afford healthcare, I mean that is really startling. I mean, I mean that's a big takeaway for me. Um, that if founders, if you are listening to this, solve something that really is like really going to disrupt, going to make a change. I mean that I, I definitely take that to heart. Uh, thanks so much for joining. Lovely chatting with you, um, and looking forward to staying in touch.
0: That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the SAS Universe podcast. And remember, if you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business, Efficient Capital Labs is here to help. With their unique approach, you can receive up to 75% of your projected revenue as upfront capital and all within just three days. So don't wait. Head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the show.